Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There are tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Preset Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts or another area of Preset Ministries Canada, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Hello, everyone. It's Mark Sheldrake here, and this is another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast. We are on episode four of First Thessalonians. Hope that uh, you are digging into the study each and every week. Uh, joining one of the online classes, can't repeat this enough, it is vital that uh, you engage in conversation uh, around God's Word with other people, and uh, we've got some great online classes happening, also some online training that you can participate in through the summer. Uh, just a few weeks left in our podcast, so seven weeks on First Thessalonians. This week, uh, looking forward to chapter 3. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the time that you have given us today to be able to uh, walk through these verses together. We pray that as we um, study the scriptures, as we discuss the scriptures, as we uh, learn from them, that your spirit would go before us, that you would challenge us in the areas of our life where we need to be challenged. Equip us, Lord, to be Uh, good representatives of you in the world that we have around us, Lord. Father, we thank you um, that we can do this, that we can study your word, that we can proclaim it publicly and uh, have um, many, many people through this online platform listen to uh, your truth. So, Father, speak through me now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, like I said at the beginning, week four, and uh, this is uh, a very interesting uh, week, and next week the podcast is going to turn a little bit because we're going to get into chapter four. Chapter four is um, pretty much the beginning of that second segment of the letter, the first uh, heavily focusing on exhortation and encouragement and reminding of what Christ has done in their life, and then the second segment is going to focus heavily on instruction and how to live um, out your life in light of knowing that you are a true child of God. And so uh, I want to go back to the beginning for a moment, a short moment, to remind you of this church. This church is a church that is in Thessalonica, that Paul and Silas went and visited there, according to Acts chapter 17, amidst much persecution. The gospel was preached. As the gospel was preached, uh, lives were changed. Acts chapter 17 tells us that uh, some 
of the brethren, some of the uh, Jews as well as Gentiles were persuaded by the gospel and they followed the gospel. Chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians tells us that the gospel went forward, that the church not only heard, but they believed and they received the word and they took the word out. And so they were doing well in their growth as a church. They were uh, imitators of Paul and Silas. Uh, they were also imitators of Jesus. Everywhere their faith went, um, they took the gospel with them. And they were a group of people who had this uh, work of faith, this um, labor of love, this steadfastness of hope. And I love the end of chapter 1 that it says that uh, they are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ because he rescues them from the wrath to come. So what we've got, though, is we want to understand uh, pretty clearly as we move through into chapter 3 is that Paul... Uh, was taken away very quickly from them. Uh, there's some debate over about how much time had passed. Was it three weeks? Was it three months? Uh, whatever it was, the time was not enough time to dispel all of the truth and the information and to continue to disciple this church. One of the greatest concerns that they had, because it's all the way through, chapter 1 was that Paul didn't get to fully address the return of Jesus Christ or the second coming. And so this is one of the things that he is addressing as we go through. Each and every chapter refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we're going to start in chapter 3 and then we're going to work our way backwards in just a moment because you're going to see, if you've got your Bible with you, if you've got a notepad with you, great. If you're driving or working out or whatever you're doing, um, go back and take a look. Always go back, line the scriptures up, because they are the plumb line, they are the guide, and uh, look and make sure that what you're hearing is the same thing that you are seeing in the text. All right, so chapter 3, verse 1 says, Therefore... So automatically, you know, if you're a good precept student, if you're a person that studies the scriptures, therefore is a term of conclusion. And you always ask, well, what is it there for? So if you go back, you're going to see um, verse 17. And it says, uh, but we, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit. We were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to share, uh, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan has hindered us uh, from that. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are his glory. So what we have here, simply this. Uh, Paul wanted to be with them. Paul wanted to get with them to finish or continue the work he was unable to do when he had to leave very quickly. But there is this enemy that's getting in the way. There's an enemy that's stopping Paul from coming into Thessalonica to do that work. So the therefore is simply showing us the desire that he has 
for them to get together, okay, for Paul to get there. And so now, therefore, what he says in verse 1, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God and fellow worker in the gospel of Jesus Christ to strengthen and encourage you as uh, to your faith. Now, I just can't help but stop and think about this for a moment, just to pause and, and think about the angst that would be going on in Paul's life. You go, you preach the gospel, uh, you are there with them, and suddenly a great mob is coming about, and they're trying to kill them, Acts chapter 17. Go back and look at it. The mob is so angry that they've pulled uh, Jew and Gentile people together to come against them. They proclaim as one of their accusations against Paul and Silas is that what they are teaching is upsetting the entire world. I mean, the gospel is flipping the world upside down. And they don't like it. And so they want to get rid of these people who are preaching this message. In chapter 2, we saw Paul defending uh, his character. Let me remind you of how I came. I came in humility, like a father, like a mother who's nurturing their baby. And so this all continues from that relationship of this real affection that Paul has for this church. He desperately wants to get to be with them because he wants to know what's happened to them. He wants to know whether the gospel took root and has begun to bear fruit. I mean, the only way that you could probably imagine this is if you were to um, be apart from a child for a very long time and you haven't seen them for a really long time and then they come back to you and you see how they've matured and they've changed. Um, our children, are they're teenagers right now, so sometimes during the week you... They hide in their rooms and, and you don't see them for a while. But what about those children who go off to university for uh, two and three years and they're separated for a long time? This past week, I had the opportunity to speak to um, a guy that uh, I know well and his daughter is a student in the United States and just trying to debate and figure out what, what this student's going to do. And she he said, you know... Um, she has just developed her life down in the in the United States, and she she wants to get back to this. So she's come back, and she's grown and matured. But there's this separation that occurs, and and this is what's gone on with Paul and Silas and this church. They they planted the seed, but they don't know what the result, the full result of how that seed is growing. And so they, because of the time of part, Paul can't handle it anymore. 
He can't get to them personally to see them and meet them face to face. For whatever reason, the enemy is withholding him from doing that. But he so desperately wants to know that the gospel that he preached, the transformation that he saw in that short time that he was with them was a true salvation. It was a true change and it wasn't just words spoken, but actions taken to show that they are true children of God. And he knows that this hindrance is in the way, so he sends Timothy to him. He says that uh, Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel. And so very interesting, uh, if you were to take a study through 1 Corinthians, Timothy is sent by Paul uh, to the church in Corinth, and he says that um, Timothy is coming, and he is the exact representation of who I am. It's like when Timothy comes, you see Paul. So be encouraged by that. Well, here, Timothy is going to come, and he's going to strengthen and encourage this group of people, this church, in their faith. He's going to continue the process of discipleship and encourage them and keep building them up. Verse 3 says, uh, term of conclusion, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. So it seems, all right, so church and Paul, both faith, facing suffering and persecution for their faith. And so we know that as the heat turns up on our faith, as the enemy tries his best to cause us to fail, that there is great opportunity for us to either be strengthened and persevere and continue on, or the option to give up and walk away. And so this is a great concern for Paul. That, one, I warned you that you would suffer for the gospel. I warned you that we would suffer for the gospel. And now you're seeing it. Now you're in the middle of it. You're in the midst of the fire that is suffering for Jesus. Um, this is opposite to what you may hear in some messages around the world in the online platforms that everything is perfect with Jesus Christ that there is no suffering and persecution or pain but only riches and blessings come from Jesus Christ well you need to go back and study the gospel of Matthew and you need to see what Jesus says of those who commit to following him scourgings, beatings, brought before courts, you'll be hated because of my name. And so as the persecution continues and it starts to heat up for them, Paul's concern is, are they strong enough? Have they been built up enough in their faith that they will be able to endure? I need to know what's going on. I need to know how they're handling it. I need to see them and I need to encourage them and I need to build them up because I don't want the labor that we've done. I don't want what we've done in the name of Jesus Christ to be in vain. That's his concern. 
that everything that they've gone through and suffered for the gospel of Jesus Christ would have been worthless. And so he wants to know. He desperately wants to know what is happening with this church. And Timothy is going to go there and come back and report. Now, here's the great part about this. This entire letter, 1 Thessalonians, is based on the report that Timothy brought back to Paul. So can you imagine being on the other end of that? That there's all this worry, this all this struggle of what's going on, and Timothy gets there, and Timothy sees this church is thriving. That this church is doing exactly what they've been called to do. I could only imagine the trip back to Paul and what was going through Timothy's mind as he was getting ready to report this back to Paul. Paul, they're fine. They're doing great. They're preaching the gospel. They're seeing transformation. And so Paul pens this letter and he encourages them. We pray for you. We remember the work of faith that was done in your life. We remember when you were gripped by the gospel and you turned from idols to serve a living and true God. We're so thankful for your labor of love and how you are taking the gospel out to all the nation around you. That everywhere your faith goes, you're changing and transforming lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are hanging on to the steadfastness of hope. That you're no longer looking to the idols of this world, but you are pursuing Jesus and you are looking for his return because you know that Jesus has rescued you from the wrath to come I mean this is absolutely exciting it says in verse 4 it says for indeed when we were with you we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass. For this reason, I could endure it no longer. Uh, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. Uh, there's something very interesting that comes right out of this text, and his, his great desire is that he knows that this is a group of new believers. This is a group of new believers who have just begun their Christian walk. That they've just started to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. And that because in their weakness, they haven't fully matured in the process of sanctification. And therefore, Paul knows that the enemy is ready to take them out. Now, if you are joining us in the precept upon precept study you would have uh, walked through the homework and you would have seen there's quite an extensive um, study on Satan and so I want to walk you through uh, some of these cross references uh, on Satan because some of them were uh, very eye-catching for me this week and so because they were eye-catching I thought 
well, let's not let's point them out. Because one of the things that we need to understand before we get to the tempter, and this has been my experience uh, when I was pastoring in churches, that we seem to be very good at preaching the gospel. We're very good at getting people to come to the point of understanding the need for a savior. That we see individuals that in whatever shape or form they come to Jesus, whether it be through emotions and crying and and on their knees, um, just in submission to, to accepting the Lord Jesus over their life. Or it's in a conversation in a, in a workplace where you, you've shared the gospel and, and someone said, you know, I, I've been searching for Jesus. Thank you for pointing, and, and you pray, and you walk through that. It's also been uh, a practice, and, and I have seen this a number of times, that what we do with, with people who are new Christians, we, we tell them to read a book of the Bible. And then we say, go read Romans, or go read John. Go, go read Genesis. Start at Genesis and, and, and start walking through God's history to learn more about him. But there's this point where somebody has bowed their knee walked that aisle, and accepted Jesus Christ. And then our response as mature Christians is to send them off on their own to go and do something. Uh, there's, in my, in my house, it's very clear that I have zero gifting in doing any handiwork. I, I can't fix anything in my house. I can f- easily look through the yellow pages. Uh, those of you younger generation people, the yellow pages was a big book that used to come on your front door. You could search up things like plumbing and electrical and turn the pages and find somebody local to fix something. Most people do that on the internet now. But I would have to find somebody to help me fix something. A number of years ago, um, when Jessica's uh, my wife's uh, grandfather was not well. He, he told me, go into my basement and you can have first pick of any of the tools in the basement. So I went and I looked through the tools and I started to look for things that looked fairly new or things that were used regularly to determine whether I should um, have that in my toolbox. I am constantly mocked by people who come over to my house and tell me how good and shiny and brand new my tools look. Folks, I was missing a hammer for over two years and my father-in-law brought it and dropped it on our table in our hallway and said, here's your hammer and I didn't even know it was missing. How much different is it to leave me, for example, to do a plumbing job, to go and fix leaks in a sink or change out faucets and do all of that when I don't know how to do it? Is it that when you take a new convert and you tell that new Christian 
go read the book of Romans. Go read the gospel of John. Uh, Have you ever read John chapter 1? How does somebody brand new to the faith understand in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God? Huh? It's vital for us to walk hand in hand. This is why Paul was so concerned. He never got to do this with these people. He wanted to do it with them, but he was taken away. So he sent Timothy to encourage him. He also knew that in their weakness, that the devil is at work in the world. And so that's what we want to look at uh, just for a few minutes. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. We're not going to uh, read through all those verses, but this is uh, Satan tempting Jesus. Uh, Jesus was hungry after being in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And the first thing the devil did was tempt him with food. The greatest weakness in that moment was his hunger. so So he went after that. He then went after his deity and his authority. If you are God's son, then do this. Prove it. He then offered him the world and said, if you would like this, I will give this to you if you do this. Uh, you need to go read the book of Revelation and see uh, who this lands really is and when it's going to be claimed back by the lamb. Satan never had the ability to give that to Jesus. But Jesus, every time, thwarted with Scripture. Uh, Revelation 12 9 talks about the great dragon and the serpent of old, and he is the one who deceives the whole world. Uh, James chapter 4 tells us that it's our role to resist the devil and draw near to God. Uh, The one that stood out for me this week uh, specifically comes uh, from the passages of um, 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15, is the first one I want to look at, and just listen to the description of the enemy and the enemy at work. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. He says that uh, in verse 13, Uh, For such men are false prophets, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel uh, angel of light. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And we'll come back to these two verses in a minute. 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 4. It says... um, Verse 3 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. Uh, Two things here that, that stood out for me. Uh, specifically, is that one, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That 
he is proclaiming his own message of truth. And sometimes that truth is not blatantly seen as something that is wrong. He disguises himself as a servant of righteousness. I mean, this is very interesting. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, uh, God of this world, he blinds the minds of the unbelieving so that they won't see the light of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 tells us that before Christ, we walked according to the power of the prince of the air in living in evil deeds and flesh. Can you see why Paul is so worried about the tempter? When you are just a new Christian, you're still trying to figure out the differences between right and wrong and what you can do and what you can't do. Of course, you have the Holy Spirit to uh, walk you, with you, convince, convict you, and uh, speak to you and show you what is right and what is wrong. But as the part of the process of discipleship, and the more you study God's word, the more you realize what it takes to be in line with the truth of God's word and therefore live a life of obedience to him. But new Christians, they need to walk along in this. This is a process they're going to work through. Have you ever talked with a new Christian? Have you ever walked with a new Christian? They're so passionate about sharing Jesus, but you'll get tons of text messages about, is this right or wrong? Should I be doing this or should I be doing that? And you're walking with them as they walk through this process. But there's also these times where we see people who have professed Jesus in word only, but have not shown it in their deeds. We looked at that passage last week in Titus, that they profess to know God with their words, but their deeds do not show it. So bearing fruit is a part of that in Christianity. But he's worried about this. This is a concern that he has, is that these people who are not fully grounded, standing firm in the truth of God's word because they don't know much beyond the milk of the word and therefore very easy for Satan to come alongside and tempt them to fall away. The other thought I had about this, and it's something for us all to think about, but what about the very fact that the persecution and the suffering that's being faced by them in that Satan is using that as a weak point for them not being able to handle it and telling them to walk away because it's not worth it. Peter tells us that the Satan prowls around like a lion ready to pounce on those. His ultimate goal is your failure. Satan wants your allegiance he doesn't want you to be aligned to God's word. He doesn't want you to be aligned to Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to be obedient to him. I once had heard a quote, a very interesting quote. And the quote was that Satan loves people who read their Bibles and never put it into action. Well, this is the challenge that Paul has got, isn't it? I mean, Satan knew God's word. 
Satan knew the scriptures. He just didn't live them out and wasn't obedient to them. Go back to the conversation in the garden. Go back to the conversation in Matthew chapter 4. What we have here is that Paul has a great concern that everything that they've done, that the people aren't bearing fruit. And Timothy comes back and he says, Paul, they are rocking it out for Jesus. Verse 6, he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he's brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we are comforted about you through our faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the gospel. I want to just sit here for a moment and just sit and and ponder these verses for a minute because the only way that I can describe this to you is that Timothy goes back to Paul, reports to Paul what's going on, and Paul is so fired up and excited that his work was not in vain, that the gospel did go forward. There was conviction on, on both sides, conviction to bring the message, conviction because of the message, that what ended up happening was life transformation. And through this life transformation, there was fruit being born for the kingdom beyond the borders of where they lived. And that got Paul so excited that he says in verse 8, now we really live if you stand firm. Uh, the, the, th- the thought behind that is uh, we are encouraged and we are built up because of your faith. This is why at Precept we love to hear testimonies of God at work. You see, when we do our training workshops, we're doing them online right now, but when we would go from, from, from town to town, we, we would do the workshop, we would do the three hours, and then we would leave. And we would do that all across country. I would do this on a cross-Canada trip, and in 16 to 20 days, we'd be in every province doing multiple trainings, and we'd walk away. And you'd walk away knowing that you left the truth of how to study the Bible, but you never knew the outcome. You didn't know what was going to happen in the lives of the people that were there. Some people would say that was a great workshop. Some people would come and say, you know what, you really challenged me to think in a new way. And then weeks later, you'd get an email, and that email would say, you know what, my life has changed because of the way that I've learned how to study the Bible. I've been so convicted in my life. Where do I get more Bible studies like this so that I can go out and impact other people? This past week, we just trained 15 new people how to lead precept upon precept studies, and the encouragement that we got back from that was fantastic. We don't do it because we want to build ourselves up, but we do find joy in the fact that God is working through you by the power of the Holy Spirit, that it actually propels us to move forward in engaging more people in relationship with God through knowing his word. It fires us up, people, when we hear what God is doing in your life. And that's what's happening with Paul. I can only imagine that when Paul got that report back, he was like, I have 
got to write them a letter and tell them about how exciting this is, how encouraged I am by this, and then give them some more truth because I'm not going to be able to get to them. I could just imagine getting this letter back from Paul where Paul is saying, you guys encourage me, you build me up, you fire me up because of the way you are living in the light of truth. He says, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. The amazing thing about what's about to happen is that the report back from Timothy has ignited a fire and a passion within Paul that he cannot help but pray for this church. Do you see what he's beginning to pray for? The first thing we know, he prays day and night that God would open the door for them to be face-to-face together. That they would have that time again to be able to meet and connect, to be able to build each other up and finish the work. This is his prayer. The other part of the prayer, we saw that he thanks God for the work, for the labor and the steadfastness of hope. He thanks God that the gospel has been rooted in them, that there is fruit, that there is transformation, and that he gets to see them again. Why? Because he knows that the work isn't finished. He knows that there's more that he needs to teach them. That's what chapter 4 and chapter 5 are all about. It's about teaching them the things that he didn't get to teach them, to challenge them, to call them to excel still more, to to address things like what happens to the people who die before Jesus' return. Could you imagine being so hopeful of Jesus' return that you think it's coming like in the next week or so, yet people are dying before that and you wonder what happens to them? Paul's going to address that in the next couple chapters. And then in verse 11, he's got this kind of benediction, but prayer right in the middle of the end of chapter 3. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct you Direct our way to you. This is his prayer. God the Father, Jesus the Son, open doors for us to get together. May the Lord cause you to increase in an abound in love for one another. May your love grow for your fellow church members. May you become so passionate and loving to those around you that you will want to push the gospel message forward. Just as we also do for you. So that, term of conclusion, he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ 
with all his saints. Uh, the key word in verse 13 it is the word established. This theme of established, it runs through uh, the entire chapter. The, the idea here is that Paul wants this group of people, this body, this church, to be firmly established. And so we walk through um, these verses uh, throughout the um, chapter 3 and just look closely at everywhere where he refers to uh, being held fast or established. Verse 2 and 3. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel uh, to strengthen you and to encourage you uh, as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these things. Uh, established, rooted, not surprised or disturbed or rocked when you see suffering or persecution. This is all a part of the purpose of Paul wanting to pour into these new Christians was to get them established, to get them on solid ground, on solid truth. Uh, the second is in verse 8, where he says, "Now, for now we really live if you stand firm, uh, immovable, not disturbed, not shaken, not rocked by the circumstances that are around you. The last one again comes in verse 13, that your hearts would be established without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Uh, what does Paul want? He wants them to be rooted. He wants them to be established he wants them to be firm in the faith. He wants them to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. That they would, their hearts would be prepared, that their hearts would be established, that their hearts would be rooted in the very fact that when Jesus comes, he will gather them all together with him at his right side. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 28 tells us the reason for why he wrote Colossians, but it's very similar to the first Thessalonians. He says, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Chapter 128 of Colossians is Paul's reason for ministry. He wants people to be made complete and ready for Jesus you see, Jesus and, and Paul in Philippians, he knew that this was not his home. He knew that his citizenship was in heaven. He knew that this was not his eternal resting place. He knew that one day he would be with Jesus. He also knew that there was a process called sanctification, and there was a preparation for where, how he needed to be there. And so this is what he wants these people who are brand new Christians. He wants them to be built up. He wants them to be rooted. He wants him to be strengthened. He wants them to be established. He wants them to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. This is the encouragement that Paul brings through chapter 3. And so as we move forward and we move into 
uh, the instructions, one of the instructions that we're going to see about, about this preparation and being established is the command to be alert and be on guard. Uh, the ESV version uh, through scriptures uses be alert as wake up. Be ready. I can't wait to get to chapter 5. But for now, here we are. We're at the crossroads of heading into instructions with the ends of encouragement and exhortation. So the challenge for you is, how are you doing in your faith? Do you have suffering and persecution surrounding you? Have you wavered in the gospel lately? Have you questioned your foundation of your faith? What's your hunger for God's word like? Do you have a greater desire to dig into the truth, to know your God and be established? The challenge for me this week comes on the whole topic of prayer. The topic of prayer in it is, what does my prayer life look like concerning those that we engage in ministry with here? My great desire, my great passion is to see Canada transformed by the gospel. Once a month, we have a group of people who are meeting for prayer to pray for that very thing. But what about the people who come through our training workshops? This is the challenge. What comes through our training workshops and we drop the, the, the gift of inductive Bible study in people's hands. Do we continue to pray that they'd be firmly rooted in those truths, that they'd be established not only in the method, but in God's word, so that they would go out and impact many others. Folks, the one thing that I look at is I would love to be a part of this group of people. I would love to be a part of a group of people where I can truly say that wherever, my faith, wherever I go, my faith goes forward. Wherever I go, whatever I do, whatever action I take, whatever word I speak, I proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I also want to tell you that I was also challenged this week and encouraged in the very fact that even this week, receiving testimonies and reading testimonies of people who have been impacted over the last few months of COVID-19 through whether it be this podcast or online training or online classes, more than 500 new people have been engaged in Bible study with us since the middle of March. I got to tell you, it fires me up. It fires me up to do even more for the kingdom of God. And some days I think it's impossible to do more, but I want to do more. Why? Because I want more people to share how God is transforming their lives. Not for me, but for the glory of God. For the furthering of his kingdom. Because there are days when I sit around and I watch the news and my stomach is sick over what's happening in our culture. Our culture desperately needs Jesus. The answer is not found in any political person or any one leader. The answer is found in Jesus. 
And so we need to be people who are going to take Jesus wherever we go. When we're on social media, when we're in the line at the grocery store, when we're in our church, when we're sitting around the dinner table with our family, do we bleed Jesus? This is what will make the impact. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God is at work in us, and God will work through us if we are willing to allow it. Father, we do thank you for what we've seen, this great follow-up by the leader, Paul, that he had such a desire and a passion and a hunger to know what was going on with this church that he sent Timothy Father, that the report came back and it was fantastic. That Paul was so encouraged and fired up that it propelled him to not only write this letter, but to send him into a deep prayer for these people. That he prayed that they would be made complete, that he would, he prayed that they'd be established, that they wouldn't be disturbed, that they'd be firmly rooted in the truth of your word. This is the prayer that we have, not only for us. Ground us, Lord. Strengthen us. Establish us. Give us a hunger for your truth. Father, help us to pray that same prayer for those that are around us. Use us to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website at www.preceptministries.ca.